What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Rebunked. My name is Scott, coming at you live from the Last American Vagabond Studios here in historic Franklin, Tennessee. And I have a powerful, powerful episode for you here today, you guys. I'm just uh, really grateful and excited about this. Um, just real, real quick, though, if, if you're new to the show or if you uh, want to uh, follow the show, make sure you head over to the website, which is rebunked.news. Rebunked.news is the website. We're going to be real quick with this, you guys. Rebunked.news. Uh, it's going to pop up and have you sign up for an email list. That way you stay up to date with the show. If you get any value out of the show, you can uh, go to the Give, Send, Go right at the top, givesendgo.com forward slash rebunked or the t-shirt shop, or there's also value for value donation options at the bottom of the page. Um, we're on all podcast players. Make sure you subscribe. And then this episode will be uh, is streaming live on Rockfin and Rumble and will be on InfoWars Band.video here uh, in the next couple of days. So um, that's pretty much it, you guys. T.me forward slash rebunk pod is the Telegram page. Make sure you're following there to stay up to date with the show as well. And then in the episode description, you're going to see links to all of our affiliate sponsors, which are Richard Grove's Autonomy Course and Truth TRS Heavy Metal Detox Spray. All right, that's it, you guys. Today, pretty much needs no introduction, but just author, filmmaker, prolific uh, historian, and just everything. I just I can't even tell you how much you've, you've inspired my work over the years, and especially, David, over the last couple years with this whole COVID fiasco. Your words of inspiration um, have reverberated across the ocean to us, and as really, you know, myself and so many people I know have taken your words to heart, and we are standing up. Absolutely. Like, we are not, not, not going yeah, to be yeah. on our knees for this. And so thank you so much for joining me today, David Ike. It's yeah, quite an honor. Right. Thanks. All right. Awesome. So um, I, I, I heard you on the Alex Jones show last week, and we had this interview on the books for quite a while now. And, and I heard your discussion with Alex, and you mentioned this new book. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I didn't even know he had a new book out. Like, how did that slip through the radar? So I immediately ordered it. Um, and so, you guys, this is called The Trap, David Ike's most recent installment here. And uh, I had the pleasure of reading the entire book. I did read the entire book. And I took notes the whole time. And so we have a lot to discuss here. Um, it's just a fascinating book. And, you know, I really want to thank you for putting this together. It was very, uh, it, it gave me the opportunity to reflect on a lot of things in my life, to, to look back on memories that I have and, and so many things. There's so much to digest. And you point out several times throughout the book, like, you know, take this information, sit on it for a minute, reflect on it, meditate on it. You know, it's, it's a lot to unpack, but, and it's really powerful stuff though. So first of all, thank you for that. But before we get into the real contents of the book, I'm always curious, you know, I, you know, I've got a lot of irons in the fire, a lot of projects I'm working on, but one of my goals in life is to write a book. And, and in the book, you describe how, you know, when, before you even wrote a book, how you, uh, like, you're like, I don't, how, how, I don't even have that much to say. I don't have that much to say. How could I possibly get it all in one book? Right. And then, uh, and then of course, now you have this prolific, what is this? Your 21st book or. It's 26, mate. He said, okay, yeah. my bad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I tried to count right before, but it's so 26 books later, uh, over the course of over 30 years. Like, um, what would be your advice to somebody who is first venturing down that road of trying to publish and or author a book? Like, what would be what would be something that you would uh, instill upon myself or somebody listening that might be in that situation? Well, first of all, Scott, in terms of writing a book, you know, I'm an author. Oh, yeah, I'm an author. Um, drop, drop all that stuff. Because what um, a, a book writer is, or any kind of writer, you're, you're speaking to whoever's reading it. And I always imagine, you know, the kind of people that are reading the book when I'm writing it, and I'm talking to them. 
And I have a technique where I never introduce something new in the book unless I explain its context immediately or its context is obvious from what's gone before. Because the worst thing you want, and it's the same in a film and any kind of uh, media, really, you don't want people going, hold on a minute, uh, come again? Uh, you, you, you want the, the, it to go from A to B to C to D and always giving people the information they need to understand where you go next and to follow the context of it. And uh, so it's, it's just having a chat, really. I mean, you do the research and then it's like someone says to you, so what have you found out? And then you, you tell them. And, you know, it's, uh, it's no, um, people say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not a writer and all that stuff. Well, um, can you talk to people? Can you have a chat with them? Can you tell them what you think? Well, yeah, well, you're a writer then. Because it's not as difficult as people think it is. Yeah, that's amazing. And then thank you for that. Cause that, that, that really, uh, that makes a lot of sense. You know, it's, it's less about, Oh, I'm writing a book, right. And it's more about a conversation, you know, as with a lot of these things, yeah. you know, we're just having conversations. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. Is. I love that. I love that. Well, let's get into it here a little bit. So, um, you know, a lot of the things I want to ask you, or maybe some of the things that we're going to talk about, these are broad topics. These are deep conversations. And obviously it takes an entire book to cover the width and the breadth of these, these topics. Right. And so I really want to encourage everybody, please, you know, after this conversation, please go check out, uh, please go order a copy and, and, and dive into it for yourself. There's actually a link to davidike.com, his, his page to order it in the description, in the description below. So we're going to give like kind of a, just, we're just going to touch on some of these broad overview topics, you know? Yeah. I should, and, I should uh, say also, Scott, there's, um, there's an audio version the first audio book I've ever done. Oh, didn't even know that. That's I, great. I actually read the book, um, on, um, on tape. Okay. Um, so people can re uh, listen in their car as well. Perfect. Yeah, I'm, I'm a voracious audiobook listener. And so I'm actually, I'm glad I didn't know that. I actually had the chance to, the discipline to sit down and force myself to read this book, like very, very in a quick succession. You know, I, I don't usually allow myself that much time in a week with all the things I have going on to sit down and read a book like in, in a couple days. So I was really, you know, that was a cool thing for me. So thank you. Uh, but so we talk about like, like, okay. So one of the main topics here is the idea of reality, our third dimensional five sense reality being a simulation. Right. And we've heard the idea of the simulation, you know, brought about, I think most people are traditionally aware of it with the Nick Bostrom's uh, assertion of the simulation, right. Simulation theory, you know, and I've looked into that quite a bit and I kind of like, I haven't, I didn't fully resonate with his version of it because to me, it's very like nihilistic. It's like, well, then what's the point? Like it's kind of hopeless and it kind of drives you into a ditch of just, ugh, right. And so, uh, particularly in the in the interview you did with Alex, I heard uh, you know you describing simulation theory, and I'm like, oh, is he on the Nick Bostrom thing? But then after reading the book, I have a much deeper understanding of what you mean by the simulation. And, and to me, it's like uh, it's not that's not that's not that's not that simulation. It's saying that there we are boxed in to a simulation overlay on top of this fifth dimensional infinite awareness reality. So we're kind of like in an overlay, trapped, you know, as the book suggests, the book title suggests, like over this other dimension of infinite awareness. So can you kind of help me describe like, or help describe what you see <clears throat> the, the simulation being compared to maybe what Nick Bostrom's version of it is. And I know you wrote a whole book well, to um, expound upon this, but just, 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 just as briefly as we can, we can cover here. Yeah. When I, um, when I was starting to look um, ever more deeply at reality, uh, just after the turn of the millennium, I, 
I just felt very strongly that we live in a simulated reality and the limit of that simulation at the level that we experience it uh, is the speed of light. And um, the speed of light is not the fastest speed possible as it's claimed, it's pedestrian, but it is the fastest speed within this level of the simulation. So it appears when you measure things as if it's the fastest speed. And at the time that I, I got this, uh, I, I looked at you know the, the guy you're talking about, Nick Bostrom at uh, Oxford University, because I was looking at the whole idea that it's a simulation. Is there anyone else saying this? And so um, I looked at um, his version of it, and I, I didn't buy that. But at least he was um, he was looking at the idea that it possibly was. And one of the great things that happened was the arrival of the Matrix movie, or mm -hmm. Matrix movies as it became, because um, I don't know what the background to that is, um, why they portrayed reality as the simulated, uh, in the simulated way that they did, whether they knew or whether they just you know, had an idea. But whatever it was, it was a godsend to me because it gave a visual, uh, a visual expression of what I was feeling, what I was seeing. And uh, it was uh, another well, best part of 20 years later in the spring of 2021 that I read an article in Scientific American where the academic um, author was saying that he had concluded we live in a simulation and that the limit of the simulation is the speed of light which of course knocked me back after all those years when I said the same and he related the speed of light I say quite rightly to processing speed uh, I, I've been pointing out over the over the decades that since so the, the many many years since that what we call the laws of physics which are what the, the apparent limits of what you can do in this reality are actually the rules of the game. They're actually the encoded rules within the simulated reality. And he points that out too and, and then says, well, even if you are in control of writing the rules of the game, the virtual reality game, we know all about them now, then you're still limited by your processing speed, which he related to the speed of light. And of course, since um, the, the turn of the millennium, when I started talking and writing about this, a lot of mainstream scientists have come to the conclusion that this is actually a simulation, uh, a virtual reality. And it's um, something that when you grasp it, when the penny drops, a lot of the kind of mysteries and in terms of mainstream science, unexplainable uh, mysteries of reality uh, start to, to fall and fade because it starts to make sense why things are as they are. And we've had um, many mainstream scientists and increasing numbers now who are going down that road because it does explain things that otherwise are unexplainable. We've got um, Silas Bean, who was a, a physicist who uh, led a team at uh, the University of Bonn that concluded 
that we almost certainly do live in a simulation. And from their point of view, that it's based on some kind of cube matrix. We've got Rich Terrell at, uh, in the uh, NASA computer uh, department area uh, who came out a few years ago, I think it was 2017, and said uh, he'd concluded that we live in a simulation, a holographic simulation, illusory physical, which is what I've been saying all along, and that if that is the case, then it obviously wasn't and isn't natural. It's not something that just happened. It was made to happen. It was built by some force, some non-human force, which again is what I've been pointing out to great hilarity all these years. Uh, that is actually behind this and behind, uh, ultimately, the direction the world's being taken with this uh, constant centralization of power and destruction of human freedom. Uh, so all these things in the end, they come together. You know, I, I talk about connecting the dots. Well, there's a, a heck of a lot of dots to connect. You can connect the dots between the World Health Organization and Silicon Valley and Bill Gates and uh, Klaus Schwab and the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers. Yes, and they all connect. But then you connect other dots that go deeper in the rabbit hole and eventually they lead to a non-human force that has created this, um, this simulation. And so the next question is, well, what is it? And what I'm saying is it's not actually a physical construct. It's not. It's an information source. So I take, um, I take you back to the Matrix movies mm -hmm. where the characters like Neo and Morpheus and so on, uh, they were operating in the ship outside the Matrix in the movies. And to go into the Matrix, they didn't go in with their bodies, they went in with their minds. That uh, probe was stuck in the back of the neck, in the, you know, the reptilian part of the lower brain. And um, they went in with their minds, their bodies stayed out. Um, and I'm saying that this simulation is actually um, a mind construct. You know, the brain um, is a processor of information. It's not the source of consciousness. It processes consciousness. And the level of consciousness that you uh, open the brain to by opening your mind to, opening your sense of possibility to, dictates what level of consciousness your brain is um, processing into a sense of reality. So someone who... Um, just identifies only with the, the body, only with the, the labels, as I call them, of a human life, will, through that uh, myopia of perception, be um, opening the brain to only a, a very low level of awareness of consciousness. And thus, they'll have perceptions that reflect that. And other people that open their minds to, to the greater self, the more expanded consciousness beyond this nonsense, ultimately, uh, they will um, allow the, their, their brain to process that. And they will have a completely different sense of reality. And we're seeing that. We're seeing this, this very clearly, this parting of the ways, not least very uh, quickly since the COVID card was played 
of uh, different uh, senses of reality that are manifesting what? Very different experiences. You know, you've got the people that, that saw through the COVID hoax and they are not jabbed and they are living their life from a certain perception of reality and what's going on. And you've got vast numbers of other people who didn't see through the hoax and who are jabbed. Maybe they've been jabbed and now they are seeing through the hoax. There are many, many people like that. But there's uh, still many who um, still have not seen that they've been absolutely scammed. So it's, it's about how much consciousness you let in. If you only let in the consciousness that's coming from authority and coming from the media, which is coming from authority, and coming from the censorship of Silicon Valley, which is coming from authority, then you will only open your mind to a certain range of information. And we uh, develop our perceptions from the information we, we receive. It might be from media sources. It might be personal experience. It, it might be uh, from many different um, directions. But we receive information and we form our perceptions from them. And if you only um, open your mind, if, it's, if you can call it that, to the official story of everything, then that's all you'll hear. And so your perceptions and your behavior, which comes from perception, will reflect the, the narrative. So they tell you there's a deadly virus, you believe there's a deadly virus, you go meekly under house arrest because there's a deadly virus. You're then told that the deadly virus can only be overcome by actually a deadly fake vaccine. And you have the fake vaccine, then you have another, and then you have another, and then you have another. That's because your perceptions are uh, manifesting your behavior. But other people uh, are expanding their awareness beyond that. There is this, um, this process that, or this phenomenon that science dismissed for long, 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 long time. And that's that the brain changes in the way it processes information on the basis of the information, i.e. the frequencies of the information that it receives. So science said for a long, long time, until actually relatively recently, that once the brain was formed, that was it. That's how it was. Now they know that if you change the information that the brain is processing, you change the way the brain processes information. So if you, for instance, are only taking the official story of everything, the government narrative, the official narrative, the authority narrative, your brain starts to form its uh, neuron networks and the firing of the, the neuron networks and the electrical system in a way that processes that information. And as long as you're only getting that information, your brain will stay in that state. And therefore, um, you literally can't compute other information that's challenging that official narrative. This is where you get, oh, you're just a conspiracy theorist. You don't know what you're talking about. Oh, that's crazy. No, they'd never do that. They would never lie to us like that. They wouldn't. Because your brain can't literally process that, that information. But as you open your mind to actually, do you think they might? Oh, they are. Then all your neuron networks and your information processing systems in the brain and the electrical systems start to change. 
uh, and start to be able to process this new information. And that's why people are going, whoa, whoa, in stages, whoa, more and more into understanding the scale of the deceit that we've been living in um, all our lives. And the whole basis, if, if you break everything down, whether it's a simulation or whether it's uh, Facebook uh, censorship or whether it's the government COVID narrative, the foundation of the entire, the entire conspiracy to enslave humanity is to hijack human perception, which becomes then human behavior. You want to control human behavior, control perception, and you'll control um, behavior. So if you look at this simulation from that point of view, it's my uh, contention from what I've learned and picked up over the years, you know, you bit here, bit there, bit there, and you put it together, um, is that there was or is still a prime reality, a prime reality that um, is not a million miles different. It's very much more expanded and very much more advanced, but it's not a million miles from um, the reality that we're experiencing in terms of the way it, it, it looks, if you like. And what was what happened? Uh, and the, the the ancients talked about this. This is one of the things that I found so compelling, is if you look at the different ancient cultures and you you put away the the different names for their gods and what have you, and you just look at the common, continually um, repeating themes, you realize they're actually telling the same story, and. For instance, the um, the Gnostic uh, uh, people, the Gnostic belief system um, in ancient Egypt, and it was elsewhere too, southern France under the name of, of the Cathars, etc. Um, they um, left uh, a, a real treasure trove of writings and documents um, which were found in a place called Nagamadi in Egypt in 1945. Um, and it's estimated that they were put in the earthen jar, which they were found in, maybe around 400 AD. And uh, 400 AD is in the period that the great library at Alexandria, this great um, depository of ancient knowledge and texts, fantastic uh, uh, information they, they held, was uh, destroyed by the Roman church. And uh, the documents disappeared. Some would have been destroyed. And I, I tell you, a lot of them will be under the, in the vaults of the Vatican to this day. But um, because of what um, they say, I mean, the, the, the uh, people that were operating with the Gnostic belief system at the Great Library at Alexandria, they were talking about the sun, uh, the earth going around the sun 2,000 years before Copernicus and what have you, and Galileo following on. And so they had this great knowledge which the church did not want people to have. So they were destroyed, uh, but they left these writings. And when they've been translated, and I've read two very thick books uh, translating them, uh, they talk about a force they call archons, which is ancient Greek for rulers, with, oh, still Greek for rulers, um, and um, so that's why they use the word. And archons, they said, were a non-human force operating outside of the human world. And just very quickly, uh, 
almost everything in the totality of existence is outside the world we call human. Yeah. Because this is a, a great, a great, a very vital point, which again opens up so many apparent mysteries. When we look through our eyes, we think we're looking at everything in the space we're looking at, but we're not. We can only see a tiny band of frequency, which science calls visible light. That's all we can see. Everything outside of that is invisible to us. The entirety and totality virtually of um, reality, infinite reality, is denied us. So to think, well, we know it all, we know all there is need, we need to know, uh, and all, you can get all you need to know from this book um, called the Bible or the Quran or any other book. Um, not saying there's not some stuff in there that, that, that is useful, but to say that all you need to know is what's in there is ridiculous. To, to put this visible light into perspective, according to mainstream science, the um, electromagnetic spectrum, which is basically this reality in so many ways, um, is um, 0.005% of what exists in different forms of energy, etc., in this, what they call, universe. And visible light is a tiny fraction of the 0.005%. So that's what we can see. So when people say, where, well, where, where are these non-humans then? Well, and they say, well, I can't see them. Well, of course you can't see them. You can hardly see anything. That's the point. And, you know, if you have um, radio stations in the old analog system and television stations, television channels, they're all sharing the same space mm -hmm. in the space that you are within. They're sharing the same space that you're standing in or sitting in. But you can't see them just as you can't see Wi-Fi. But mm -hmm. tune a, a, um, a computer to Wi-Fi and you'll get Wi-Fi on the screen in a totally different form than it appears in the Wi-Fi field, you'll see pictures, moving pictures, graphics, words, everything. Whereas in the Wi-Fi field, they're just information within a radiation field. But you put them through the computer, suddenly they become what we see on the screen. And that's going to be vital as we, if we move on to, 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 to the nature of reality now that this um, matrix works, um, to understanding um, what I mean by uh, this, this simulation is actually a, a mind uh, phenomenon, not a physical, if you like, construct. So you've got this um, situation where we can hardly see um, anything. And you've got the descriptions by these Gnostic writings going way, way back of a non-human force that's manipulating from outside of visible light what goes on in visible light. This is what this secret society network and your Gateses and your Rockefellers and your Rothschilds and your, your Klaus Schwabs, they are in within visible light, within the human world, assets of this non-human force. They may seem powerful, but they're actually compared with a non-human force. They're just gophers operating and manipulating human society in accordance with the non-human forces um, agenda for the world. This is the reason that these same people, as we now know, I've been researching this for 30 years, 
uh, all these um, assets of this, what I call global cult, manipulating human society, um, are into Satanism and, mm-hmm. and such like. And what is, what is Satanism? It's worshipping of these gods, these demonic gods um, operating outside uh, visible light, which are ultimately manipulating human society in the way we, uh, we experience. And what these um, Gnostic writings said, interestingly, is that this non-human force, this archontic force, uh, has entrapped humanity by making a, quote, bad copy of prime reality. And for bad copy, read simulated copy of prime reality. And this is this overlay I'm talking about. Mm. You've got... um, You've got prime reality, the reality that is, uh, is the natural one, if you like. And then you've got this overlay, this informational overlay of the simulation. So how do we, how do we turn that simulation into a perceived reality? So we're living in a simulation thinking it's real. Well, again, um, we, we come back to how we, how we, decode reality because that's what we're doing so um if you again go back to the an analogy you've got a wi-fi field i can't see it and the computer connects into the wi-fi field and it transforms it decodes the wi-fi field into a completely and utterly different form on the screen uh, as 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 we see and if you said to people Okay, um, what is the internet? And they'd say, yeah, well, the internet, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's pictures and graphics and, and what have you, um, uh, you see on the computer screen. Yeah, okay. But that's the only place in the entire internet system that the internet looks like that. Everywhere else, it's electronic circuits, uh, and so on, and it's Wi-Fi. The only place it, it exists is on the screen, nowhere else in the form that we see it. And yet we perceive the internet as what we see on the screen, and actually that's just a fraction of what the internet is. So take that analogy, and, then, and this is mainstream science, how we manifest our reality. The foundation of this so-called human reality Indeed, the very foundation of this simulation is waveform information. Think Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we are connecting into that field. We're interacting with that field all the time, though we don't realize it. And because of that field exists, many, many, uh, indeed, all paranormal activity can be explained. But so hold on a minute. So you've got this field of waveform Vibrating information. Yeah, okay. So how do we turn it into this? Well, this is my trim science, I'll say again. The five senses are designed to take waveform information, turn it into electrical information, which they uh, then communicate to the brain, and the brain decodes that electrical information into digital holographic information. Holographic being illusory physical as we see with holograms that are now you know be getting more and more sophisticated they look the best of them look absolutely solid and real 
Um, but they're not. Um, but they appear so. And so we are taking this waveform information, uh, turning it into electrical information, which goes to the brain to become digital holographic information. I mean, all the five senses work like that, but you can take the simplest one, sound, um, and the ears, to make the point. So I'm, mm. I'm not passing words to you and the audience. I'm passing a waveform vibrating field of information which my vibrating vocal cords are creating. They are passing across the airwaves to the ears of the listeners. And the ears then turn that waveform, sound wave information into electrical information, which is communicated to the brain, which then decodes it as the words you hear. And, you know, th this um, process now has become more and more understood to the point where there are um, pain relief um, systems now that work to stop the messages coming um, from the five senses or from the body through the five senses to the to the brain uh, in the sense that if you get um, like a, a real smack on the on the leg for instance then you don't feel pain until the point of the blow has been communicated uh, to the brain and the brain decodes ouch if you can stop that uh, communication that electrical communication from the point of the blow or the point of the pain to the brain won't feel pain because it's all going on in here. So in effect, what, what I'm saying with this um, simulation is it's a simulation that exists here. It's decoded by our um, systems of uh, our five sense systems into a reality that seems ever so real but actually it's an informational overlay of prime reality and i'll just finish on this point what we're seeing now scott is um this explosion of modern technology literally mimicking the reality that we think is real and natural and I give you this um, example. When people put their headsets on in a virtual reality game, uh, they may be in a room like this, which is kind of empty, nothing, nothing going on at all. But the headset, what does the headset do? When you play these sophisticated um, virtual reality games, you have the headset, which gives you the visuals. You have the audio. You have gloves that give you the, the touch senses. And what are they doing? What is the game doing? It's hacking in to the five senses and hacking in to the decoding systems of the five senses and overriding them. And so you put the headset on in an empty room and then you'll see people thrashing around as if what what's being fed to them through the game is real. But what they can do is to take the headset off and they can have the empty room reality to give them a perspective on what that actually is. It's a game. Now imagine wow. you come out of the womb with a headset on, and the headset's on your entire life until you 
go out the other end. And that headset is feeding you a sense of reality 24-7 all your life in this process I've described of the five senses decoding information into a fake reality. I mean, you're going to believe it's real. If they can get you to believe something's real with a headset on, when you know it's not or should, imagine if you have an entire lifetime with this symbolic headset on and no one tells you there's any other reality except the one you're experiencing, that reality will dictate what? It will dictate your perceptions, which will dictate your behavior via your sense of reality. That's how it works. Wow, powerful. So speaking of this headset that you just mentioned, my literal like soundboard just glitched out. It said we lost you. Can you, can you still hear me, David? Yeah. Okay, and hopefully the audience can still hear. I'm sure they'd be chiming in if they couldn't hear, but I've lost audio through my headset, and I don't know which mic I'm being picked up on, but we're just going to keep winging it here. Yeah, uh, I Archons, the Archons, man, I'm telling you, yeah. <laughs> intercepted this communication here. Well, thank you for that. I mean, that that's such a great uh, under you know breakdown of this. Um, I want I want to I want to stay on this particular, you know, the dimensional aspect of it because I find that to be so fascinating, right? So, you know, I think traditionally before I read this, I heard you know kind of my vision of the fourth dimension was sound or excuse me, time, time, right? Time, the linear version of time, which you also discuss in depth uh, in the book, the idea, the concept of time, and how that is a construct in and of itself, but I love your description of the fourth dimension being that, and you describe it as the fourth dimension as the realm of the mind from where the simulation is projected. And there's also different, you know, frequency bands. And that's kind of where the, 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 the danger lies, you know, they can infiltrate us through the lower frequencies of the fourth dimension, but can you kind of explain like what your, your uh, interpretation of what the fourth dimension is to me? It's like, it's like the, 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 the point of awareness that is observing the third dimension. That's kind of like in a way with the way I see it, but can you describe that and then maybe, Take us to then what the fifth dimension and beyond is. Yeah, I mean, I use these terms uh, of dimensions, fourth dimension, fifth dimension in the book. So, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm, obviously, it's a it's a, a real massive subject, and I'm trying to keep it really uh, real simple, not simplistic, but simple, so people can immediately who haven't come across this before see how uh, w- what I'm talking about. So, um, where's the mind? That's the first question. Um, where's the mind? If the mind is not the brain, and it's not, the brain's a processor of information, where's the mind? Well, the mind is a, a, a field of awareness, a field of consciousness, but we can't see it. We can become aware of it, we can pick up the vibes of it, but we can't see it, uh, just as we can't see Wi-Fi. And so, um, the, it, uh, as a rule of thumb, if you like, if you can't see it, it's what I call the fourth dimension. And um, it's not exactly like that, but that will that, do as a, as, a, as a kind of a basis for what I'm saying. So we can see, I can look around now, and my five senses are seeing lights, they're seeing a wall, they're seeing a desk, they're seeing a computer. Um, but the five senses only pick up a particular range of frequency, and it's ever so narrow. So um, that range of frequency that it turns into a sense of reality is what we call things, forms. 
So I can see the desk, I can see the lights, I can see the computer, I can see the car. But in between all of these things, these forms, to the five senses, it appears to be empty space. It appears to be nothing there. But actually, it's not empty space. It's, the, it's this field of information, knowledge, awareness, uh, etc. But it's vibrating, it's, its frequency is beyond the range of, of the five senses. Um, and so uh, when you look at the world of, through the five senses alone, it seems like everything is apart from everything else. And it, it, it feels like, um, you know, this is all there is. When actually this field of information, knowledge is, it's like we're swimming in a sea of energy, information, and our perceptions are dictating what information we decode into a sense of reality. I go into that in the books about how we actually do literally through our perceptions dictate our own experience. You know, if you think something and believe something, you, you, you will experience that. I, I've, I've met uh, people who um, told me about uh, how they keep experiencing the same thing over and over again. It drives them mad. It might take different forms um, and involve different people, but it's the same basic experience. And what they're doing is, is, is Groundhog Day all the time. And, and then you uh, explain to them that they're actually creating that. What is it in your perception of reality? What is it in your belief system? What is it about your sense of identity that is generating that recurring experience? And when I've explained it to some, some people and they've, they've, they've got it, oh, I, I kind of see why, why that might be happening. And once they acknowledge it and see it, then it stops recurring because their perception has changed, thus their experience has changed. It's, it's, it's amazing how much control we have over our lives if only we realize how this whole thing, uh, how this uh, whole thing works. So in terms of uh, these dimensions, you've got what well, I'll call it the, the third dimension. You know, and it's all this this scientific thing in dimensions or it's it's space and time. Forget all that. That's their version of things. I'm talking about when I'm talking about third dimension, fourth dimension, fifth dimension, ranges of frequency, ranges of frequency, which like the analog radio and television stations, share the same space as each other without interfering with each other until they get really close on the dial. And then you get interference. On the, on the analog radio system, you'll have a radio station that dominates. It's the loudest. But there's an interference coming in uh, as well from another station because they're close on the dial. But um, when they're not close on the dial, these dimensions interpenetrate each other, the same space that I'm sitting in now, the third dimension, the fourth dimension, the fifth dimension and beyond, all exist in the space I'm sitting in now. But my senses only pick up the third dimension where you expand your awareness, you start picking up other dimensions. But overwhelmingly, your senses are picking up only the third dimension. You're only you're tuned to this radio station, if you like, this TV show. Um, and so this is how it works. So the fourth dimension is the dimension of mind. Now, you can have expanded states of mind, which will take you into the upper levels, the upper frequency levels of this fourth dimension, mind dimension, which, you know, the esoteric world calls the fourth dimension, the astral dimension. 
And when you come down to the lower frequency levels of this astral fourth dimension, it gets really, really close to this one. There's interference. It can interact. This is what we call ghosts. It's what we call demons. Um, and you therefore have a, um, a point where there is interaction and there can be manipulation. And these lower levels of the fourth dimension, the astral dimension, this is where the demonic world is, the world of inversion, of chaos, of um, distortion, of what we call evil, which is basically uh, a form of chaos that manifests as the absence of love. It has no ability in its chaotic state to... Um, experience the feelings, the emotions of empathy, for instance, of compassion. This is the this demonic realm. And this is another interesting thing, Scott. You know, when you look at uh, around all the ancient cultures, as I was saying earlier, you find the recurring theme of this demonic realm, which is manipulating human society. So the Christians talk about demons. The uh, Islamic religion talks about the jinn operating. The, what are the, who are the jinn? They operate outside of human sight and manipulate human society and manipulate humans. You have the Gnostics talking about the archons in pretty much exactly the same terms. In fact, when you look at my books and you see some of the terms used for the archons, they are the same as those used for the jinn by the Islamic belief system. Um, and then you have in, in the Zulu uh, belief system in the south of Africa, you have what they call the Chittahuri, um, the children of the serpent, um, which um, uh, are described in similar ways, operating in the unseen but manipulating the human world. And what they've created is this network that I call the global cult of secret societies Keeping secret, ultimately, what? The fact that this is what is happening and this is what's manipulating the human world. And the, the inner sanctum of this secret society network, not Bill and Joe down the local lodge, um, knows that they're interacting. They know that they're being, uh, um, they're representing this non-human demonic force. That's why, Scott, these representatives of this force operating in the human world, like Gates and Schwab and Fauci, Rothschilds, Rockefellers, all of them, Trudeau, all these people, they act in the same way that the demons are, because they're representative of them, representatives of them. They have no compassion, they have no empathy, and they, they're driving this agenda of global control and uh, merciless, um, imposition of suffering on the population because that's who they are. This, this is why they do it. And these, these networks like the World Economic Forum and its Young Leaders School, they are training and developing these various people as representatives of this cult, representatives of this demonic force to put them in the positions of political power. So you have uh, leaders school, so-called graduates in Canada, Trudeau, uh, Freeland, the deputy prime minister, with Newsom, governor of California, 
with Ardern in New Zealand, with Macron in France, and so on and so forth, it goes. Uh, this is how the whole thing's done. But ultimately, and you know, this is where, where I've been traveling all these years. My, my, you know, my, my point is, if you want to um, remove a cause, you've got to get to the core of it. You've got to get to where it's coming from. And this demonic realm is where it's coming from. So this is the reason, again, that these characters in this global cult are invariably doing satanic rituals. What are, what are, what's a satanic ritual? You know, what are they interacting with? These demonic entities um, outside of human sight in this lower astral uh, region in which they operate. And so I've talked to um, people who've taken part in satanic rituals all over the world who tell you how... Um, they um, they are interacting with the with, with what they perceive to be the gods, actually demons, um, and uh, how these demonic entities can manifest in some of these major rituals. They're still today um, doing rituals that they were doing in Babylon, in uh, Egypt, and so on. Why? Because those rituals were specifically designed to impact upon the energetic field, to thin out at a particular point and in a particular way, the frequency division between this world and the astral world, the lower astral world. And because of this conduit field they conjure with the, um, the way they do the ritual and the sound and everything, these entities can slip through from the astral dimension into this one. They can't stay that long, but they can appear. I've talked to people all over the world that told me how they've experienced it and seen it. So this is why you've got this, um, this whole um, connection between the, quote, elite, talk about inversion, and, uh, and Satanism. And you also got, haven't you, this, um, this connection between the so-called elite and pedophilia. Now, this is another big area that will explain so much about why what goes on. These demonic entities are so, and indeed the, the Gnostics describe this in their writings from 400 AD or before. These demonic entities do not have a source of energy. They are so distorted, so um, schismatic that they can't. They have not got a natural source of energy, uh, of of energetic uh, nourishment, if you like, uh, from what they call source consciousness, the infinity of consciousness. So they have to create one. And again, we come back to frequency. The, um, these demonic entities, by their very nature, are in a very, very low vibrational, low frequency state. And if you are going to absorb energy, then it has to be within the frequency band that you're operating on, or you cannot absorb it. You're two radio stations passing in the night. So they've set up this structure of uh, what we call human society to generate as much low vibrational energy 
as they can possibly um, create. So what do I mean by that? Well, um, every time you think, the nature of that thought has a particular frequency. Every time you feel emotionally, the nature of the emotion has a frequency. So hate, fear, the foundation of human control, anxiety, depression, they always all have low, slow frequencies. This has been measured way back now. And joy and love and happiness have very high, fast vibrations. That's no good to the demons. They can't absorb that. The last thing they want humans to be. They want them in a low frequency state. So what they're doing all the time through this cult is setting up reasons to feel fear, to feel depression, to feel resentment, to feel hatred, to manifest conflict, because that is lunch. So when um, in the Matrix movies, um, the Morpheus character held up the battery and said, the machines have turned humans into one of these. That was a profound symbolic truth. That's what they've done. Um, I, I remember um, going with my, my, what was then a very young son, uh, Jamie, to a movie called Monsters, Inc. Of course, it was a Disney movie, so it was full of bloody symbolism, even though it's supposed to be for kids. And if you remember it, um, you had the monsters in the monster world. Um, led by a character, by the way, with a single eye in the, on the forehead, the all-seeing eye, the single eye, major, major symbol of this cult. And this monster world did not have a source of energy. So they had a, the power station in the monster world, and that worked by every morning, these monster characters all lining up together, in a big long line, and then doors would come down in front of them, bedroom doors. And they would then walk through the bedroom door, which would then take them into the human world. It would be a child's bedroom or something. And their role as generators of power for the monster world was to terrify the child. So the child screamed and they would catch the scream in these like uh, devices and take it back to the monster world to power the monster world. Now, that kid's story by Disney um, tells symbolically what I'm describing. Uh, they feed off our energy, our fear, so they have to keep generating it. And uh, that's, what, uh, that's what they're doing. But the thing is that, you know, humans have vastly more power than the demonic uh, level has as long as we uh, remember who we are, what we are, consciousness, expressions of infinite awareness, and not the labels of a human life seeing everything only through the five senses. As long as they can keep you in the five senses, they, are, uh, they have primed you to generate this low vibrational energy. 
Yeah, I know. And, and David, I know we're running up on the hour here. Um, you know, I, I'm, of course, good for as long as we want to go, but I want to be very respectful of your time. We booked an hour here. So, but 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 just on that point right there, maybe just kind of as we wind down here, do you have a few more minutes to go or do you have a hard no, out let's, here? Let's take another 15. Okay, perfect, perfect. So right on that note right there, that's kind of where I wanted to go next with this whole thing, right? And so well, one of the things that you described in the book that I found very fascinating is that, you know, not all what we perceive to be other humans have the same level of consciousness. A lot of them are constructs of the matrix. And so that's one of the conundrums. Like when we see the Gates and the Fauci's and the Klaus Schwab, it's like they never, they, they, they never get what's coming to them. They never have to pay the karmic price. They always get away with it. It seems like, but that's because they're not in the same uh, karmic reality that we do, you know, cause and effect. It's like they're outside of that. But 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 then you and and maybe we talk about that. But the main the main thing that I was hoping that we could steer is, is the idea of escaping escaping this trap. And and you do get into it towards the end of the book. And again, I want to encourage yeah. everybody to please go get the book. Please go get the book at uh, davidike.com. But uh, the idea that it's it's the idea of self identifying that was the part that really resonated with me. You know, the the part that says that you know the woke cult the woke cult wants to keep us trapped in self identifying with things that are here in this third sense simulation they want us to be only defined by our yeah. this color of our skin or who yeah. we sleep with exactly and if you yeah. notice and this is very important scott to to uh, what's happening in the world in relation to what i'm talking about is you'll notice that what's happening in the the woke era is that the labels of a human life of human identity are being subdivided and subdivided yeah it was once you identified as a man or a woman or this infant bracket or this race or this religion, but now they're subdividing it just as they subdivided the religions from one religion. Then it was another two religions fighting against each other. And you look at the religious um, uh, history and you'll see this create a religion, subdivide it, set it at war with itself. It's a constant uh, uh, theme. And so what we're doing now is we're subdividing the previous labels into this long, ever getting longer list of letters, LGBTQ and all the rest of it. Yeah, that one you listed in your book, like, is that real? The, that's the, real, yeah. The yeah. Gender that's fucks and all that, like, ah. Oh, that's, that's from a, an American <laughs> university. It's extraordinary. God, I, mean, I couldn't believe it. There are. And, and you, you know, they'll just keep adding to them. Uh, but the thing is that we're now identifying the I, not just as human, uh, and limiting it to human, not just limiting it to man and woman or religion we're, or race, we're limiting it to the fine detail of, of sexuality, the fine detail of race. And this does two things. One, um, it makes people's self-identity more and more myopic, and so you're, you're, you're not go expanding into greater and greater senses of the infinite I. You're going into smaller and smaller uh, kind of expressions of self-identity. And so you are becoming more and more limited the more you identify with the myopia, and more and more disconnected from the expansion of awareness that, that takes you to a space where you see it. Oh, my God, why didn't I see it before? How many people are saying that now, Scott? Why yeah. didn't I see it before? It's so obvious because you were there before. You were there before. You were only seeing the dots. Now you're seeing 
the tapestry, the picture, because you've expanded your awareness so that you can connect dots. That can't connect dots. It can only see dots, the nature of the five senses. And in terms of, um, and you know, in terms of, you know, you said about the, you know, the, the Schwabs and the Gateses and mm. people like that. Um, they're really not like most humans. They're not. They're like software programs. Yeah. Um, uh, they're like a form of biological software program. Uh, and therefore, they're following a program. And, you know, if, if you um, told a computer to abuse a child symbolically, would it have any compunction not to do it? No, because you pressed enter. So it's going to do it because that's what it's programmed to do. So the, the, um, the, there are no limits to what these people will do to humanity as a whole and individually because the fail-safe mechanism on human behavior is empathy and compassion. If you can put yourself in the position of those you're affecting uh, and emotionally perceive that, it limits what you will do. If you don't have the fail-safe mechanism of empathy and compassion, these people don't, then there are no limits to what you would do. So when people say, oh, no, they'd never do that. No, mate, you would never do that. They'd get off on it, mate. And they do. Um, and so I started looking at this when I, when I, I've, I've been researching this full time now for 32 years. And I thought I started looking at, OK. You've got this simulation, right? Okay. So, OK, you might get caught once and you come into it. And you think, oh, God, bloody hell, I'm not coming here again. And you leave. Bye. But it's very clear when you look at the evidence that reincarnation is real. So people keep coming back. Consciousness keeps coming back. Why? Why the bloody hell would it come back here? And then I looked at the explanations that we get about reincarnation. And while I accept, yes, I think the phenomenon is real, yes. But the explanations, I think, are bloody ludicrous. Um, According to mainstream science, planet Earth is the equivalent, compared with the size of the perceived size of the universe, of a billionth of a pinhead. Mm -hmm. Now, what we're being told is you have to keep returning to, to Earth to learn lessons, to reach a state of enlightenment where you don't have to do that anymore because you could become enlightened and you can break the, the cycle. The reincarnation cycle. Uh, okay, so let, let me just uh, let me get this. Let me head around this. So we are an expression of infinite reality, right? Yeah. But we have to keep reincarnating onto a billionth of a pinhead to become enlightened to the point where we can leave. Yeah. Well, wouldn't it help? you to become enlightened if you came into the world through reincarnation again and retained a memory of the lessons you've already bloody learned mm -hmm. yep. but we don't 
we come in with a blank sheet of paper. Now, some, especially young children, it seems to be a young child, maybe before the age of seven, have these memories. And I, I've read about them and watched documentaries on them for years and years and years uh, as they come up. And they are extraordinarily compelling. You've got this little kid who can remember facts about their life and they've gone away and checked it out, what they've said, where they were, who they were, what they did. And it just turns out to be true um, again and again and again. It's absolutely fascinating. So I looked at this reincarnation thing and I thought, well, OK, I, I think it's real. But I think the explanation of it is Tosh. So what is really going on? And what's happened in my life, uh, Scott, since I had my head blown off in a massive awakening in 1990, mm -hmm. is that um, my life has been a synchronistic journey uh, that's worked basically like this. Another, a, a new um, subject will come into my mind or into my life. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And then suddenly, bang information relating to that subject is coming at me from all angles. People I meet, things I read, things I see, things I experience. And that happened again in the writing of The Trap. When I started to go down this road of what is this reincarnation? Because the Christians say there is no reincarnation and you're basically, you know, something unpleasant if you believe in it. And the Eastern religions say there is, a re is reincarnation. Well, I say they're both right, really, in the sense that in the great, um, the great infinity of, of awareness beyond the simulation, there probably isn't uh, a, a, a natural thing about reincarnation. Um, but there is in the simulation. So what's going on? And this synchronicity of information started coming to me again and again and again. And I... Um, for instance, read um, a lot of accounts of people who have been taken by hypnotherapists, etc., into um, what they call the between life state, where they were going into memories uh, deep, deep in the consciousness, not conscious to them, of what they experienced in the what the between life state, in other words, between human life state. And I looked at it. First of all, the themes were very compelling because they were so common, what they were saying. And two, I thought, I'm looking at another bloody hierarchy here. This is not freedom. What's going on? And then you start to you start to see how it works. Um, the idea that you have to keep reincarnating onto a billionth of a pinhead to learn lessons, to reach enlightenment, to get out of here, for me, is a nonsense. So let's put it another way. What if, and I think that this is how it is, this level of the simulation that we experience as the human world is not the only one. There are other levels, other frequency realms of this going into this astral dimension. Uh, and that what's happening is this non-human force has set up a trap where you experience the human world you then what we call die and you enter another realm that people call the spirit world but that's just another level of the simulation mm. 
And you go into this other hierarchical world, as these people describe, and with, like I say, with very common themes. And then you come back and you're going round and round and round. Now, when you come in, you, your mind is basically wiped. So you've got a basic a bank seat of paper, apart from the few, you know, the kids and they kind of, kind of, as they get older, they kind of forget about it mostly. They lose that memory. Um, and so you're coming in each time, not knowing about the other times. To you, this is the first time. And it keeps going on and on and on. And this cycle within this trap, this multi-level simulation, um, is generating, by the way it works, enormous amounts of low vibrational energy, which these characters are feeding on. It's their, it's their sustenance. It's their, it's their means of, of survival. And so you've got a situation, and this is why these, this demonic realm is so terrified, terrified of being found out and humans realizing what the game is because they lose their energy source. You start feeling love and joy and happiness and breaking out of these low vibrational states. We stop fighting among ourselves. We stop seeing ourselves as black or white or this sexuality or that sexuality. That's not who we are. That's what we're experiencing in a brief life called human. It's not what we are, but we have to be manipulated to believe that's what we are. So we'll go on generating the conflict, the chaos and the upheaval that generates the energy that they feed off. And so you have um, the uh, esoteric uh, concept, the old ancient esoteric concept of what's called the ring pass knot. And the ring pass knot is said to be a level, a frequency band, if you like, beyond which you cannot go unless you are in a high enough state of frequency. And then you can go straight through it. Because to you, it doesn't exist, just like a radio station going through another radio station, very different on the dial. The idea of this trap, and I go into the detail in the book, mm -hmm. is to keep humanity both in the body and out the body in a low vibrational state, low enough that you can't get through the ring pass knot. And that's why in, I think, their misunderstanding, the Eastern religions talk about the fact that you have to keep reincarnating to learn lessons, to reach a state of enlightenment that allows you to leave. A state of enlightenment. What is that? a state of perception which generates a state of frequency which allows you to go through the ring past not and get out of here. Um, everything's gin and tonic with a twist. You know, you have a, a truth and then they twist it and you lose the, the, the big story. Uh, and, and so um, the idea is to keep people in that low vibrational state. And that's why it's so important before people leave the body that they, they understand their true nature that they're not human, that's just an experience. They're not a man, a woman, this sexuality, that sexuality, this race, that race, that's just an experience. And they're there to divide us. What we are is consciousness, an infinite eternal state of consciousness, which can be the size of a pea or the size of infinity, depending on how much you wanna open yourself to the limitless of existence.
And once you open yourself to um, a certain level, you're through the ring pass knot and you're out of this trap. So you, you, you have the infinity of reality. And then you have this information construct in within which the human world works and the operates and the out of the human world operates. And, you know, uh, I go into the book, I, we'll talk about this another time maybe, but I go into the book in detail about how what we call souls, consciousness, incarnate consciousness, mm. but it's not even incarnate. I, That's one of the questions I had, but yeah, definitely. But, but um, what, um, what, what, what happens is that AI, fourth dimensional AI, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is tracking every incarnation. So when a Christian leaves the body, uh, and they have a, like what they call a near-death experience when they leave the body and then their body's revived and they come back. They'll see Jesus. They, they may well see Jesus. You see lots of um, people saying they see Jesus. There's other people say they see Mohammed or Allah or whatever. Um, but actually, it's like a designer manipulation. Uh, and so um, they, um, they have this concept in the esoteric world um, that they call uh, the Akashic Records. And there was a guy called Edgar Casey who made this very popular at one time, the concept of the Akashic Records. And the Akashic Records are said to be a, um, a level where everything that happens in this world is recorded. Every thought, every conversation, everything is recorded. And I started reading up. I, I, mean, I came across these Akashic Records in like 1990, but never really uh, got interested in them until I was writing the track. Really interesting. I started investigating this. And then you start seeing how, how the Akashic Records are being described symbolically. They say it's like a supercomputer program that's uh, recording everything. And I thought... Well, that's exactly what it is, because the the AI world that is coming in now to the 3D world is simply the fourth dimensional AI world, artificial intelligence world, coming in, being brought in to our world. It mirrors it. And when you think where we where we've got already in our world, our reality. And you think it's nowhere near what's happening there in terms of AI potentiality. And, you know, there's 8 billion people here now, 8 billion souls, if you like. Um, and so people would listen to what I've said in the last few minutes and they say, well, that's ridiculous. That's all far-fetched. Well, hold on a second. Hold on a second. How many people live in China? Uh, 1.5 billion, right? And China, even with the level of technology that's... Um, that's going now is tracking that vast population overwhelmingly, certainly that lives in the cities, which is most of them, in real time, tracking them, keeping a record on. This is how the social credit system works. They track people. And um, so you, and I, I use this analogy in the book. Um, you look at what's possible with the level of AI that we have now. 
And I'll give you a simple example, sat-nav. There are billions of cars all over the world now that are, um, you can connect into sat-nav and a voice is telling you where to go to get to your destination. Now, it says go on the second exit of the, the roundabout uh, to your destination and you make a mistake and you turn off the first turning off the roundabout. How long does it take for the sat-nav to reevaluate that you've gone on the wrong road and how fast does it reevaluate re where you need to go from there? It's almost, it's getting to be instant. Root recalculation, root recalculation. Go this, don't do that instead because of what you've just done. So now think that that voice AI that's talking to you when you're going to your destination is talking to billions of other vehicles all over the world at the same time in real time. That's now here. So the idea that a consciousness uh, incarnate incarnations cannot be tracked by AI that's vastly beyond anything we see now, but they're bringing it in stage by stage. That's why it's getting more and more sophisticated. Um, that, that can do that, but much more expanded AI, much more sophisticated AI, which goes actually out of the physical, cannot actually do that. Well, of course it can, and it is. And we're being tracked. Um, the surveillance that's being introduced more and more all over the world is simply the 3D version of fourth dimensional surveillance that is following incarnations. It's just the same thing is coming into our world. And um, so um, the way out of here is to realize that it's all bloody nonsense. All of it, nonsense, all of it. Yes. The pursuit of success, the pursuit of more and more money, more and more fame, the I gotta, gotta, gotta world. It's all an illusion. It's all a trap. And we need to move to that reality, I would say, that understanding, that self-identity, that we are none of this. We are consciousness. If we want to open uh, our uh, awareness enough, infinite consciousness, ultimately, that's become trapped in a state of illusion and delusion called self-identity. The I am ours. You get someone, you know, they meet someone. Hello, nice to meet you. Um, who are you? What will they say? They'll give you their name. They'll give you their job. They might give you where they were born, their current location. They'll give you the labels of a human life. No one will say, hello, who are you? Oh, I'm all that is, has been, and ever can be, having a brief human experience. Oh, I thought I recognized you. So am I. <laughs> That's the point. We are all unique because we have unique experiences. We become unique expressions of this infinite awareness but we're all unique expressions of the same awareness 
It doesn't matter if you are black, you're white, you're Asian, you're whatever. You are the consciousness having the experience and you come and are the same consciousness that I am. And what the Black Lives Matter, why the Black Lives Matter movement is funded by white billionaires of the cult, like Soros, demon, is because they want self-identity with the color of your skin. They want racism. They must have racism or they don't have divide and rule through racism. They must have divide and rule between women and transgender activists and men. They must have it. They must have conflict between Ukraine and Russia and America and, 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 and world wars. They must have that because they can't control and generate the energy they need to sustain them unless they do. And um, so it's about all about, in the end, self-identity. Mm -hmm. What do you call the I? And if you call the I labels of the human life, they got you. If you realize that you are consciousness, having a brief experience in an illusory reality and all the trinkets and symbols of a human life are just illusions, then you can reach a state of awareness where you can get the bloody hell out of here once the body gives up. Wow. That's amazing. Well, bravo, bravo, David. Thank you so much. Well, I was just going to say, I'm very grateful that your point of infinite awareness known as David Icke had a brief experience here on my little show, Rebunk News. So there you go. <laughs> David Icke, man, thank you so much for everything and imparting this knowledge, writing this book. Like you are a very huge source of inspiration to myself and I know countless, countless others out there. So if people want more, where can they follow and support you? Well, um, they can go to davidike.com. That's my main hub with all my videos that I put up um, several times a week. Uh, we have the, the news stories of the day put in the context of what they really mean as opposed to what we told they mean. Uh, and uh, there's also Iconic. I'm, I'm here now at the Iconic studio in Derby, England, which is a media platform, which is uh, it's just phenomenal. It's been created by yeah. my son. And it's just fantastic. It's not just conspiracy uh, news and news programs and debate programs. Uh, it's uh, full-length documentaries. We've just um, uh, launched a, a, a original iconic documentary called No Turning Back, which is um, exposing what's gone on at the Tavistock Clinic in, in London. In other words, exposing what's going on in hospitals across America now uh, it's, as it's coming to light more and more in terms of the castration of children in this whole idea of um, transgender. And, you know, if we had another hour, I could tell you what the transgender thing's all about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It again goes into this demonic realm and what they're trying to achieve and how they're changing the body. Uh, and um, I, I, um, I actually spent the weekend, actually last Friday, uh, in um, a, a place called the Hellfire Caves. And uh, it's the location of something called the Hellfire Club, which was started by a guy. Well, there's a few of them now, but they st he st started by a guy called Sir Francis Dashwood is one of these elite on his estate at West Wickham, which is about 35 miles north of London. And he uh, dug these chalk caves uh, a quarter of a mile into the, this big hill called West Wickham Hill. 
On top of it is a mausoleum where all the dashwoods are buried. And there's a big churchyard on the top. At 300 yards, uh, 300 feet rather, below that in the hill are these caves. And uh, this is where they, they went to and, and, and did for uh, a long time, literally hundreds of years, uh, take part in satanic rituals to sacrifice children and what have you. So um, it's full of demons and it's full of um, trapped souls in that horrific situation. And um, we went in there um, after the, you know, it's a bit of a tourist attraction now, but we went in there after, after dark um, on Friday and had some amazing experiences. And, I, and it's going to be a Halloween special on, um, on Halloween, um, on Iconic. And uh, I can tell you, having experienced the, the demons directly, is <laughs> they're a two-stone weakling compared with humanity and consciousness in its pomp. Exactly. And um, I've also done a film for Iconic, um, which is now being edited. It's well on the way. It's going out you know, later this year called Albion Heart of the World. And it's about, it, it's the question, why is the British Isles, which you can hardly see on the bloody globe, where's the British Isles? Mm. Um, has had such an amazing impact on history and still today in the shadows, not the government, yeah. the secret society network. Uh, why has it had such an impact on the world, such an influence on the direction of the world? And uh, that too goes into the esoteric and it goes into the demonic. and. Um, there is a reason why Britain has punched massively, massively above its weight, its size um, in uh, throughout known human history. And uh, it's going to be a fascinating program, too. So we do lots of stuff like that, um, not just conspiracy. And, uh, you know, it's um, it's a great platform. Yeah, absolutely. You can get a seven day free trial, guys. Just go uh, sign up today and get all the stuff. So. Wow, David. Well, thank you so much. Like I said, we could talk for hours and hours and hours. I had like 50 questions listed out here and I hope everybody goes and learns more. If you actually, cause he actually, you guys, I had a lot of people listen, like reaching out before the interview and said, make sure you talk about the reptilians and all this stuff. And I'm like, he oh, goes into it. He goes into it in the book. In the it's book. all in the book. Like we don't have time here, but go, he's in the book, man. Go get it. So anyway, David, thank you so much. I'm afraid we're going to get going on another rant. So I'm just going to go ahead and end it here, but thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you taking a little bit extra time today and everybody go check out davidike.com, iconic.com. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to do this again here uh, sometime in the future. Great, mate. Cheers, Scott. Bye. Cheers. Thank you.